All right, it's Friday. You know what that means. It's time for another block party DFS strategy show with one week seasons. JM to win the OWS crew coming off a massive week in week four. We'll break down how that went. And then we will turn our eyes to this fun week five slate. We'll go position by position, get all of JM's favorite angles for this slate. And of course, wrap up by building a lineup on DraftKings to get the juices really flowing as we head into this slate. It's the Block Party Show. Let's go. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, cold spot, bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch, go bust it. And I had 10 pipes with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. All right, JM, week five is here. But I mean, before we, you know, look forward, I mean, we got to talk about week four. Uh, you guys had some massive weeks. What did, did you say you finished second in the double spy? Did I see that? Yeah, had, uh, second in the double spy. Uh, Patriots defense gave up a final touchdown there, dropped another point. Shout out, oh. to, uh, shout out to them for turning my 211 point, 212.6 points, I think, into 211.6. Uh, um so yeah, it was it was actually if I'd finished first, I would have been at I could have lost every entry fee every Sunday the rest of the year and been at profit on the year. So that would have been a nice way to start the season, right? Four weeks in, but um, still way ahead of pace there. And then yeah, we had you know multiple six figure takedowns from the OWS fam. It's one of those things where I, I like I'm just now registering. Um, we, we had a user take down three hundred and something thousand dollars last weekend, and I'm just now registering how nuts that is. I think I'm. It's you kind of get deadened to those types of things because it's it's happened so much, especially uh, this year. We've had such a hot start to the season. So, uh, but yeah, now I'm like zooming out and saying, "Whoa, 300k from one of our users and uh, several others with with over 100k." So, yeah, really cool start to the season. And again, players matter, but it's a, just another reminder that DFS strategy, roster construction, all of that matters even more because every site has he's going to be pretty good at figuring out who the good players are. Um, but, you know, we, we obviously put in all this time and training our users into how to play DFS and that, that really yields results over time. I heard you mention, you know, covering your entry fees for the year. Do you stay pretty rigid with, I'm going to have this much in play or does it modulate based on how your season's going? It's like super rigid, you know, it's like um, from like 5,900 to 6,100 uh, every week. And that just allows me to, sort of break down, you know, basically I, what I need in order to hit profit is I estimate I need like six losing weeks, six sort of break evenish weeks and three really good weeks. Um, so kind of go six, six and three in that regard, uh, because losing weeks are typically still going to, you know, make back a couple thousand, 3000 um, break even weeks to be, you know, you lose a grand, win a couple grand uh, and then those bigger weeks. So I'm actually one, one and two on the season. So I'm already, I've already hit two of those three bigger weeks I need to hit. And, um, but yeah, it kind of just allows me to keep that big picture perspective and recognize it's all about putting positive samples into the bucket. It'll play out in my favor over time if I'm if I'm doing that. But um, if I get a little bit too much like, oh, this week I'm doing more, this week I'm doing less, um, then it, it it turns it from a big picture thing to a what happens this week type of thing, which can mess with my mindset as well. So I prefer to just have uh, very much know what contest I'm playing every week, what my entry fees are going to be every week, and then uh, what I need to hit throughout the season. Then on a losing week or a week where maybe you play really well, 
but the the lineups just don't work out, right? You don't have you don't make the money. Um, it's easier to say, okay, well, that's just that's one check mark in this category. That I'm probably going to have six check marks in that category throughout the season anyway. Uh, kind of keeps things in perspective. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I wonder, do you think it's easier for you too? Because in a way, you aren't necessarily tempted to tack on entries on a Sunday because you've already flown out to Oregon to register for your contests. And so you, even if you wanted to scale up, you're already tethered to what you pre-regged for. Uh-oh, I think we lost JM here. JM is frozen on us. He did mention he was dealing with a little bit of a internet issue here. So we will let JM uh, boot up here and hopefully come back shortly i will do a couple housekeeping things here uh we do have the deposit kingdom weekly tournament uh up and going and each week i've been increasing the size of it our fill rate is a little slow this week i boosted it up to 425 we're at 286 this is a rake free ten dollar entry uh four thousand two hundred fifty dollars in prizes this week we are uh doing five hundred dollars to first place this is posted exclusively in the deposit kingdom discord I would be devastating if I had to uh, make this tournament smaller next week. So if you guys want to hop in, um, and I will say, I normally review the winning lineup on the portfolio review show on Monday. Uh, I lost track of time. I got distracted, and I forgot to review uh, the Achievers lineup that took this down uh, last week, and that's on me. Although the joke is ultimately on me because Achievers is on the ultimate hot streak right now had a, a five figure bank last night in the showdown street. So achievers, hopefully you can forgive me for not reviewing your lineup. I promise whoever wins the week five deposit kingdom rake free league, you will get your due shine here. Um, JM, I think we got you back. You good. Uh Oh, Uh Oh, we're trying to get JM back here. Jam struggling here. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> DK silencing the sensible bankroll tips of allocating it. it. It was too much to have here. Um, all right, let me see if JM can get this figured out again. A couple other uh, things as I'm reminded, as I see uh, John Warner in the chat immediately following this show at 3 p.m. Eastern, I will be headed over to the underdog daily uh, channel with the badge bros. We have been doing the off and on the clock show. Every single Friday, we go for about 90 minutes. We talk battle royale strategy. I'm sure we'll hop in a, in a dog bowl draft. Got to keep the deposit kingdom vibes rolling. And then on top of that, we will build some pick em entries as well. All of that on off and on the clock. We got to celebrate Numi. Just got a new gig uh, with Underdog. Um, Numi's really just trying to show us up every week. One week, it's his birthday. One week, he gets a new job. Um, so we'll get to uh, do all of that on off. And on the clock, um, and achievers, you know, if you're ever trying to get an, uh, an apology, uh, you do it from a man who's on the, the heater of a lifetime. Congratulations to achievers. I should actually pull up his lineup here real quick from last night. Um, unless we have JM back JM, are we good now? I don't know, man. I just switched <laughs> to ethernet. That didn't work. I just switched back to Wi-Fi. Um, this has been an adventure the last week, and I don't know don't know what to do beyond this, but yeah, I'm back for now. All right, let's keep this rolling. Um, week five slate, I was reading your uh, your angles email 
and mentioning too how there was a lot of you know whispers early on like this was going to be a gross slate or whatever i guess i missed that maybe i i didn't i missed some of the conversation because when i was going through it i was like holy cow there are some fun spots some really fun games we actually have two really fun late games today which always adds or on sunday that makes things interesting but i assume you're with me on on thinking this is a pretty fun slate yeah the 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 breadth of opportunities is there it's not nothing really springs off the page as like, this is the clear best play, which just provides so many different pathways to go. So yeah, there are a lot of interesting quarterbacks, a lot of interesting, you know, really running backs pretty thin, but there are, because of that, there are a lot of interesting running backs compared to where the other running backs are. And then a lot of interesting uh, pass catcher options. So yeah, I really like this slate quite a bit this week. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we don't get the Buffalo Bills uh, on this slate. Uh, I I didn't even get to ask you, your team that finished second in the double spy, was that a Josh Allen double? No, it was a, um, it was a Justin Fields, Cole Komet, um, that had Nico Collins on it. Um, so yeah, it was one of those, you know, everything kind of came together on that one. Beautiful. Yeah, that was the, man, I, I was going back and forth all last week between Justin Fields and Anthony Richardson. Ended up going with Anthony Richardson, but his stacking partners didn't get there in the way that Fields and Komet did. But uh, what are what are some of these spots that you're interested in? Obviously, people um, are looking forward to this Minnesota Chiefs game that has a 52.5 point total. But then we got Rams getting potentially Cooper Cup back versus the Eagles, 50 point total. We got the Dolphins hosting the Giants. They have a massive team total there. Um, and then some sneaky other team total spots like the Detroit Lions here at home versus the Panthers. Any any other game environments I'm missing that uh, pique your interest? No, you know, I think I was trying to decide today what building block we'll start with when we get to that portion of the show. And it was like, you know what, I'm just going to ask Pete to pick which game he wants it from because there are like a lot of interesting spots. I really like that Eagles and Rams game. Uh, really like some of the pieces on the Jets offense. I don't, I don't actually think they're going to go overlooked. I think Garrett Wilson will be somewhat popular. I think Brees Hall will be somewhat popular. Um, like some elements in that Kansas City, Minnesota game. Really like the Arizona offense this week in a mm -hmm. matchup that they should be able to do well in and an offense that people still aren't really taking too seriously. Um, Zay Flowers is in a good spot against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, you kind of it's only a 10-game slate and you kind of have uh, at least some offenses or spots that you can kind of cross off your list completely, right? I mean, New Orleans and New England isn't one that's likely to produce tournament winning scores. There's a couple other offenses that aren't likely to produce tournament winning scores. And then that kind of condenses things even more and makes our decisions a bit easier on us. Yeah. I want to go position by position, but I do want to get your thoughts on the jets because it is a really interesting kind of setup here where, you know, everyone national media, everyone majorly down on the jets, Zach Wilson, not playing well at all, which is probably an understatement. Then he looks decent, if not good against the chiefs out Patrick Mahomes and basically every counting stat. And now all of a sudden we get the report that Brees Hall, his pitch counts over Garrett Wilson, just earning a massive amount of targets. And now they get a historically bad defense. Is this one of those things where it doesn't even matter if Zach Wilson is playing at an elite level because the Broncos defense is that bad? It matters, right? Like bad players still play poorly <laughs> against, against bad teams, but Zach Wilson, I said, I mean, you saw it. I said it on Twitter a few weeks ago that I genu genuinely didn't think Zach Wilson was the same old Zach Wilson. And that was before we realized just how bad the Broncos defense was going to be. And I said, I, I don't know that he'll be able to show that 
until coming out of the bye against the Giants. And I think it's like week nine because he had, you know, Patriots and Cowboys and, and, uh, or Cowboys first and then Patriots and then, um, and then Kansas City and then, you know, all these tough matchups. He's got a couple more tough ones coming up. Um, but he, Zach Wilson reads the field well. Processing has never been an issue for him and he makes it through his progressions quickly. He makes his decisions quickly. He has just completely lacked the confidence to pull the trigger on those decisions. And basically like those, that, that moment of indecision has continued to hamper him. Right. And he's always been that guy who's holding onto the ball too long and then things break down from there and those mistakes compound that game against the Cowboys up until the fourth quarter, when they were in desperate comeback mode, he actually looked pretty solid in that game. And I remember some sharp people after the game saying like, it was, it was so dumb of the jets to go into that wild comeback mode in the game. They couldn't win because now Zach Wilson throws two interceptions in the fourth quarter and it puts more fuel on the fire of Zach Wilson's awful. Right. Whereas if he hadn't thrown those two interceptions in the fourth quarter, the narrative would have been a little different coming out of that game. Um, had that drive against the Patriots, I think it was in the fourth quarter where Tony Romo said that was the best drive that Zach Wilson had had in his career yeah. against that really tough defense. And then looked excellent. I mean, looked genuinely excellent against Kansas City. And one of the things that I've said is when you when you watch a game, it's one thing. When you watch all the games sort of back to back to back, there are certain things that really pop. And Zach Wilson was one of those things that really popped where you're watching every quarterback and then you watch Zach Wilson and he, and he just looked in the context of every other quarterback on last week's slate, he looked genuinely good. So the big question for me is, what does that mean? Um, are the Jets going to throw the ball 40 times? Probably not, right? Zach Wilson still probably tops out at 250, 260 passing yards. Um, not going to get a lot of yards on the ground, but he can certainly produce for this offense. And he has an outside shot at producing himself. So I'm going to have a little bit of Zach Wilson this week. I'll definitely have exposure to the Jets offense. I think the Brees Hall thing is a little bit overstated because it was – it wasn't like Sala was coming out and making an announcement, right? And like saying, hey, this is what's happening moving forward. And we obviously twist that for fantasy headlines. Be like, oh, nice. The, the training yeah. wheels are off on Brees Hall. But, um, and, you know, Dalvin Cook's going to remain involved. But I think that we see Brees Hall, you know, be a 60, 65% back. And um, that's enough in this matchup to give him a lot of upside. So, yeah, I think that I, I don't think that we're wrong in pursuing that Jets offense. And I think that people are probably underestimating how good Zach Wilson has looked. Uh, Confidence is an unquantifiable thing, but it's also a very critical thing. And, and we saw it with Trevor Lawrence last year. A player doesn't go from potential bust to one of the top seven or eight quarterbacks in the NFL that quickly from like steady progress as a player. Right. And he talked about what led to his confidence shifting and just his ability to trust himself, what he was seeing, his ability to make those throws and and pull the trigger on those in those in those moments in a game. And we've seen that with Zach Wilson kind of, you know, having Aaron Rodgers around and um, he looks like a different quarterback and he looks like a guy who can continue to play well in, especially in soft matchups. So I like the spot for the jets. Don't know what that means for Zach Wilson's production in a game where they're, they don't want him to throw for 300 plus yards, you know, necessarily, but um, he can get there and he can certainly produce, you know, support some of his, um, some of his playmakers in a spot where the, I, I expect the jets to win this game, obviously. This is a really good uh, late slate as far as these 4 p.m. games. I'm curious, does that factor into your lineup building a lot? I mean, we don't talk a ton about late swap uh, on this show, but just because there are so many interesting games and teams in, in plays here, I'm just wondering how do you think about that from a lineup construction standpoint and getting information early versus late? Late swap is 
is a critical strategy edge. If you were wondering if my internet lagged, it was it was my mind lagging and figuring out what to say there. But Latesoft is a critical strategy edge, but it's not something that I've ever, that, that my thought process has ever fully embraced, which is just to say like, it doesn't swing into my wheelhouse. And so it's not something that I put a lot of emphasis on in my decision-making. You know, I, I, every week I listen to the Slate Strategy podcast that, that Zandamir and Hilo do in Inner Circle. And a lot of the things they talk about is very focused on exactly how they're going to use late, late slate strategy and late swap strategy on that particular week and how they're going to build lineups in such a way that they account for some of the potential opportunities in the late, in the late uh, time slot. So that's not something that I, I, like I look for it, right? And I try to find places to make pivots and make changes where I can. Um, but that hasn't ever like manifested as part of my edge. So I'm aware that this late slate is, is potentially explosive. There's some good games uh, among these last four games. And I'm aware that there are certainly going to be strategy edges there. Uh, it's not something that I'm like going out of my way to do myself, but also it was something that I would say for anybody who does focus on late slate, like late swap strategy, that's something to pay attention to this week because that's not, not, not a blind spot for me. Like it, it doesn't necessarily hamper my results, but it's just not something that I've ever, it's like clicked with me in, in my own mind, if that makes sense. No, it does. And the thing I struggle with, like from a game theory perspective and, I completely understand it. The thing is, is there's so many variables that sometimes you can get yourself in more trouble trying to do it than just not doing it. And I found myself in those spots because you are, some spots are obvious, right? Like this guy's going to be 50%. He's the free square. I'm way behind. I probably shouldn't play that if my team was bad. Like those things make sense. But then sometimes I'm thinking like week two and like Puka Nakua was this smash play, but then he had the injury and people were kind of spooked off of him and people were swapping off of Puka because they're like, I'm behind and then Puka comes in sub 10% and you know is a, a tournament winning score there too so it can sometimes fall in that fancy play syndrome too and that's something I'm always conscious of where I was like I do want to tweak my lineup if I'm behind take advantage of something the field's probably not doing as much as they should but it's also you can get yourself into trouble right we that's a great point we see these players their their ownership comes in lower than expected not because the field isn't on them but because the field is out thinking themselves and swapping off of them um, in those spots, you know, and I, and I, I, every once in a while, you know, there's spots where I'm paying attention. Like last week, that roster that finished second in the double spy, it was up there in like the top five after the early games. And I had Josh Jacobs in the Patriots defense. So I'm looking at that and saying, you know, should I swap here? Right. Is there something better here for me to do? Um, turned out there wasn't right. So then you just let it ride and you, you hope things fall in your favor, but um but yeah, again, I don't, I don't take the edge that's available there, but I also don't take the losses that are available there because it can go either way. And so I end up just kind of staying in the middle ground there and find my edges in other spots. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's talk about the quarterback position here. We got three of the kind of the, the top dogs there. Um, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson on the high end. You got some of these kind of pocket passers in good spots to a Kirk, Jared Goff. Um, we should talk about Joe Burrow a little bit because he's an interesting name. Anthony Richardson, uh, of course, giving you that dual threat um, combination there in the mid range. And then you got some cheapies. You mentioned kind of maybe being interested in the Cardinals. We talked about Zach Wilson. There is some value down there if you want to mess around with that stuff. So what is kind of your overview or overall thoughts on the quarterback position this week? Well, 
there are 20 quarterbacks playing and like we just named about 10 of them, you know, yeah. and, that kind of, and what that tells me isn't even so much that there's 10 great quarterback plays as that the, the better ones don't separate that much from the lesser ones. And so that's something that I'm, I'm aware of this week. I also like, this is a week where my running back pool is going to be relatively small, but then there's opportunity for my quarterback pool to be a little bit broader as a result of that. And, you know, one of the things that I always want to do is I want to think about where am I making some concentrated bets and, and build, then build upside shots around that. Right. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked that I was fortunate that everybody hit, but like my six highest owned wide receivers in week three were six of the highest producing wide receivers on the site. They were all guys who went for 28 plus points and at different price points, right? Tank Dell down at the bottom and Adam Thielen down at the bottom and uh, all these guys up at the top. And so those are my highest on wide receivers. And I kind of mixed and matched them across a bunch of my rosters. And then you have a chance to take shots on upside pieces around that. Uh, last week, I went with a, a strategy of, of 80% Puka Nakua, 80% Kyron Williams, 80% Tutu Atwell. And so that actually set me up so that I had all three of them on about 40% of my rosters and basically saying this just block of points at 18 K in salary. That's going to get me in a bad game, 60 points, which still puts me in good shape. And in a good game, 75 to 80 points, which is more than four X on this, this chunk of salary. And sure enough, they got me over 72 points. They got me over four X on that huge chunk of salary. And so then I'm able to mix and match like lower confidence, high upside piece around that. So I think that this week is interesting because where my more concentrated bets are going to be, aren't necessarily high confidence bets in that my running back pool is going to be the smaller pool, but the dolphins running backs who are, you know, central to that pool, they could go either way. Well, there'll be an interesting spot to talk about. Um, Bijan Robinson can go for 30 points, but he can also go for 17, 18, 19, 20, because he has one touch inside the one carry inside the 10 yard line this year. He's not really getting those touchdown opportunities and we can go down the list, right? David Montgomery, another one, uh, should have a big role this week, can get you a bunch of points, but can also disappoint. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how I play around with that because my right now my quarterback exposure is a little bit spread out, which means my pass catcher exposure is a little bit spread out. But then my more concentrated bets aren't necessarily my highest confidence bets. Um, all of that said, quarterback position, yeah, I, I mean, the at the top for me, it's I, um, no arguments against Lamar, but I'm looking at Mahomes and Hurts in, in that area. Um, then I'm looking at, at Tua as a guy who can, you know, go for 300 passing yards and four touchdowns, uh, among the higher priced pocket passers. And then it's the, the, the cheaper guys is like Matthew Stafford who can go for 300 yards and three touchdowns. And in fact, uh, Philadelphia is allowed three out of four quarterbacks to throw for 290 or more. Stafford is thrown for 300 plus in three games. And then it's so hard to score touchdowns on the ground against Philly that we could see that touchdown regression finally go in his favor this week where he gets touchdowns. Uh, so Stafford and a guy who can get you those 27 points through the air. Uh, and then and, and Zach Wilson, who I'll have just a little bit of probably, but then it's kind of like who has some mobility, right? With uh, Josh Dobbs and, and Daniel Jones. Um, and then also, you know, CJ Stroud coming in at 2% projected ownership. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to me. A, a guy 20 to 25 points in three straight games. Hasn't yet had a three touchdown game. So you had a, a third touchdown to that on the ground or through the air. And all of a sudden you're looking at a 30 point or so um, I'll definitely be overweight the field on Stroud, not the best spot, but a better spot than the field is giving it credit for. Yeah. 
I, a question for you on like how you determine your quarterback pool, because obviously we always, we like our guys at the high end, you know, they have that immense upside. That's a, an easier sell, but do you ever, do you ever reverse engineer your quarterback selections in that? Like, Holy cow. I love Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. Maybe I should give Zach Wilson a look, or I love Puka in Tutu and Cooper cups now back. Oh, maybe now I'll look at Matthew Stafford because I sometimes have that where I'm like, am I that excited about Matthew Stafford? Can he put up a tournament winning score? And then you start looking at the value as pass catchers and like, wait, maybe I do need to go back to this spot. Zandemir talks about that a lot. The, the spots where you have these really high owned wide receivers and then a low owned quarterback. And it's like, well, how does everybody think these wide receivers are going to produce if the quarterback doesn't? I'm so macro in my starting point that that doesn't tend to happen for me because it's more about which passing attacks do I like first. And then that leads to my wide receiver exposure. But I think that that, like that ability to work backward is also critical if your process is different to where you can say, okay, well, I like these wide receivers. So maybe I should be considering the the quarterback for this team. For me, uh, obviously for me, it's like game environment first and how the teams are going to attack uh, or, or are likeliest to attack and then saying, okay, which quarterbacks can post the tournament winning score, whether that's the top raw score or on the cheaper guys, um, they're capable of producing the top raw score. And even if they don't, they can get you like that really nice salary multiplier. Uh, and any players who I feel don't fall into that category are going to be off my list. And then the other thing too, for me at quarterback is I want that to be my highest owned quarterbacks are generally, generally going to be higher confidence players, which doesn't mean guys who are always high confidence, right? Like, um, Anthony Richardson and Justin Fields were, were tied as my second highest owned quarterbacks last week behind Josh Allen. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's instances in which those guys bomb, but the, uh, in the context of last week, I really felt like they had a high floor and a high ceiling and quarterbacks just such an easy spot to get a lot of points at that. I don't want 20% owned quarterback. That's just killing my rosters. Right. So I'm always going to have those higher comp. Like I'll have some Zach Wilson this week, but it'll be like four or 5% as opposed to saying, man, Zach Wilson can have a big game and I placed just a huge bet on that. And so um, Daniel Jones, another one, right? Like I'll, I'll probably go overweight what I feel comfortable with because he can post literally the top raw score at 5,800, but also he has roster cratering potential and I don't want just a huge chunk of my rosters attached to that. So that's just personally how I handle the quarterback position. Just like another note on, on how I approach things there. Yeah. I think that that makes a, a ton of sense and it, it really is so unique. And I, I think the temptation, and I've certainly struggled with this in the past. I think I've been better at it now where you want to have those hard and fast rules. It makes it easier. You get your double stack in and it's like, well, some of the way the pricing on these patch sketches are going to line up is like, it, it might not be possible to, you know, double stack Jalen hurts, you know, I mean, sure you could do it, but maybe the slate specifics don't allow you to build really good rosters doing that. And then you might look at another quarterback and it's like, Holy cow, the salaries line up. So it does really seem, kind of context and, and situation specific the more the more context and situation specific you can be in your builds uh the better off you're going to be because then you end up with setups that that are counterintuitive to other people or counterintuitive to the rules that we see like one of the things i liked about my rams block last week was that nobody's going to do it nobody's going to yeah. play nobody wants to play kyron williams and puka nakua on a roster together they they automatically see them as, as an either or and so when, when Kyron puts up 30 plus and Puka puts up 30 plus, I'm, I'm getting both. It doesn't matter that I took only seven points on two, two on the rosters where I had all three. It doesn't matter because I'm also, it's allowing me to get that separation of these two guys in a roster together that other people don't have. And again, that just that big block of salary went for over four X 
Uh, and then who's playing three players from one offense and not their quarterback, you know? And so finding those places where you can break the rules, where it actually makes a lot of sense by the numbers and yet people won't see it uh, or will just automatically ignore it is also great. You know? So I, I try to never force rules. I try to never, uh, in, ter in terms of like, Oh, I've got to double stack this guy. I try to never force bring backs. I try to never force um, anything like that. Right. Because the more open you are to what that particular slate provides, the more unique you can be while still being optimal or approaching optimal. One quarterback I specifically wanted to ask you about, and it's actually an interesting example because right now I'm seeing Jamar Chase is one of the most popular wide receivers on the slate. And then we have all of this ambiguity with Joe Burrow. I actually just saw a tweet come across that Zach Taylor says, Joe Burrow is throwing with great accuracy. Almost sounds like a Donald Trump quote with the lady protesting too much. But what is, what's the JM read on the Joe Burrow situation? How much of it is health? How much of it is scheme? Like, what do you, how are you evaluating this Bengals team? And will you be using some of their pieces this week? I watched last week's game surrounded by uh, Baker Mayfield and Brock Purdy. And so, like, I think it was like the Buccaneers game and then the Bengals game and then the 49ers game. And it was, it was jarring to see Mayfield and Purdy with Burrow in the middle because those two quarterbacks are so good at moving around the pocket and evading pressure and extending plays without being running quarterbacks. And that's what Burrow typically is. And Burrow looked like a man who couldn't move. Like the ball would come to him in shotgun. He would stand perfectly still. Uh, he would hardly even drop back. So it's, you know, there's this thing of, of on the one hand, eventually one would think eventually he'll be healthy or eventually he'll have a week where he figures out how to play on this injured calf. Uh, on the flip side, you know, I also have to remember how long I waited last year for Tom Brady and the Bucks to look like Tom Brady and the Bucks. So I don't want to just say, man, eventually Burrow is going to have a big game. Uh, extending it to just specifically to Burrow, also we can look at, you know, zero mobility. He's going to pick up probably zero points on the ground. Whereas when he's healthy, he can get you, you know, one to two to three points on the ground. So can he put up a score that just punishes me for not playing him? Like probably not. The chances are really low of, he would need four touchdown passes. So the chances are really low of Burrow punishing me for not having him. So that just makes it easy for me to say, well, I'm not going to play him this week. And if he puts up 27 or 30 points at 6,200 and people got that score, great for them. But also like that's not killing my shot at winning a, a tournament this week. Uh, in terms of Jamar Chase, he's not as good of a play as the ownership will indicate. Yeah. But the ownership, part of the ownership is that there aren't that many just standout smash plays. And um, he's going to see targets because Arizona is not necessarily going to like dramatically alter their defense to force targets away from, him, right? Like I had, I had 6% Keenan Allen last week and was shocked to see that he was 40 something percent owned in some contest because it was like, Oh, the Raiders will alter, alter their entire defense to try to take away Keenan Allen. I don't quite feel that way as much with the Cardinals and they're going to be more about like, Hey, just force them to throw the ball short. But Chase could pick up 11 catches for a hundred yards on these short area throws, add a touchdown to that. And all of a sudden that's a smash score. So um, I don't think that Chase is, is a standout play. I think that he, it's easy for him to end up accumulating a ton of ownership on this slate because of what this slate gives us. And then just that concept of, Oh, T Higgins is out. Like all the target probably out all the targets go to Jamar Chase. Um, so I think he's a sharp play. I think that he's not as sharp as ownership will indicate, but that doesn't mean that I'm, 
off of him, so to speak. It's just, he's not a guy who's standing out to me. Uh, and then Mixon, I, I really don't know yet what to do with Mixon because he's not good, yeah. you know, and, and this run offense is not good. And yet uh, Cardinals run defense is, is pretty attackable. And, you know, you're gonna have to lean on Mixon a little bit. He's actually been better out of this, this shotgun based run approach that they've had that, that's been forced upon them. Um, so yeah, nothing on the Bengals just like pops to me, but I don't really have strong arguments against Chase and Mixon either. And I'll have exposure to both of them. Yeah. The more I kind of think it through, I think, I think I'm probably, you know, I've been only playing one lineup. I don't think I'm going to have a single bangle. Just when I think of like all of the factors, I, I don't trust Joe Burrow. Some of the things you just pointed out, uh, his health factor. I think Arizona's like actually a sneaky, tougher matchup. I mean, they've been playing plucky. Their defense is fast. They make plays. So now you have the Bengals going on the road and then you have the two top skill position players who are pacing to be the highest projected uh players at their respective positions so i don't know it seems like a spot i might stay away from but let's talk about running backs here just mentioned joe mixon you know some of the other popular plays we got devon hn who's breaking out here looks like the second coming of chris johnson these days alvin Kamara chasing all of those ppr points on DraftKings. Bijan, david montgomery deandre swift look like some of the other popular plays uh this week how are you feeling about the running back position I mean, I think that the field is reading things wrong. I'll start there, which doesn't mean these guys can't or won't hit. But um, I don't have Alvin Kamara on my list. I loved seeing him popping in in early optimizer builds and popping in ownership projections. Um, really difficult for running backs to score against the Patriots. This is the same offense with just a different quarterback. But this is the same offense, same offensive coordinator that – New Orleans had last year. It's much easier to look at the, what was it? 13 targets last week as an outlier, as opposed to this is, this is how they're running this offense um, this year. So I'm not overreacting to that one game and just thinking that Kamara is a lock for double digit targets. Um, you know, shout out to anybody who does end up getting double digit targets from Kamara again. Um, not to say that he can't put up 20 plus points, but, but I will be shocked if I get, if I get burned for not having played him, I'll be shocked if he puts up 30 plus points. And it's like, Oh man, why didn't I have, uh, Camara, the Dolphins, another, another one that I think people are misreading in that realistically Mostert and Achan should have equal ownership. Uh, they will have equal, I'll have equal exposure to the two on my rosters. Not to say that Achan is not a good play, but just to say that Mostert is a good play as well. So Achan played 39 snaps last week. Mostert played 28, but Mostert played more snaps in the first half. Mostert started the game and basically the way that the Dolphins are running that uh, and then it was like once they were behind, they went a little bit more pass heavy that A-Chan was on the field more. But the way that the Dolphins are running that offense is if it's a longer drive, typically whoever starts the drive is not finishing the drive. Uh, and then if it's one guy who starts and finishes the drive, then the other guy starts the next drive. That was the way it was last week. So, you know, if it's a long drive, Mostert starts it. And then A-Chan comes in at the end. A-Chan starts the next drive. Mostert comes in at the end. Mostert maybe gets a full drive. And then A-Chan gets a full drive. So they're alternating back and forth. I have played around with the idea of saying like I might have 55% of each of those running backs because I expect Miami to be controlling this game. I expect us to see around 30 combined touches for those two guys. And so that means that, you know, basically if they combine for 40 plus points, probably one of them is getting 25 plus points. And so that will mean that half my rosters are getting a running back who's getting 25 plus points. And there's also a chance that both of them hit. So then I'll have this little bit of overlap of maybe 10% of my rosters with both guys on it. Um, so that's kind of how I'm looking at that spot. One of my favorite spots, but I just think that, that HM 
is he's not just the starting back now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of the narrative there. Uh, other spots? Question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just real quick on the Dolphins. Um, I assume you wouldn't do this if you played both Dolphins in your lineup. And I, I know you are not opposed at all to doing quarterback running back pairings. Would you do any Tua running back wide receiver pairings or blocks in, in your rosters this week? Yeah, I, you can do it because these guys have been involved in the past game. It's weird because this started the season with running backs not being involved in the past game for Miami. Last year, running backs weren't heavily involved in the past game. So I don't want to overrate what we've seen the last couple of weeks in terms of running back pass game usage. But certainly Tua can throw for 300 plus yards and four touchdowns and one or two of those touchdowns can go to the running back. So uh, that approach is not just completely crossed off my list. It's also um, it's also not like at the top of my list, I guess I would gotcha. say. Um, sorry, what were the other running back spots that uh, had piqued your interest? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned Bijan Robinson, obviously a great matchup against Houston. There's a lot of matchup tilting, a lot of matchup tilted spots this week, right? Where we would expect Miami to be controlling this game against the Giants. It's easy to look at that game against Denver and be like, Miami just keeps their foot on the gas no matter what the score is. But realistically, they were trying to just run out the clock in the second half um, and just kept these runs kept going for touchdowns, right? So if they have a big lead against the Giants, they'll be run heavy. And I would expect that to end up being the case. So that tilts toward volume to the Dolphins running back. Uh, we know that the Falcons are the highest pass rate, the lowest pass rate over expectation team facing a Texans team that is really tough to pass on, really easy to run on. So that tilts everything toward the Falcons run game. We know that the Lions are one of the hot, one of the lowest pass rate over expectations teams playing a Panthers team that is very difficult to pass on, very easy to run on. Lions should be controlling this game. So that filters things toward the ground game. Uh, so I like those spots because we just, we know that the volume is going to flow to those backfields and that checks one of the boxes off our list already. Uh, I already mentioned though, Bijan Robinson, one, one carry inside the 10 yard line. Um, yeah. Tyler Algier has four. So you know, that could be mirage early season stuff, but that's a little bit concerning. Makes it harder for Bijan to have a bury you type of game, a 35 plus point game. But uh, he's had a clear shot at 25 plus points this week and should get you, you know, 17 to 20, even if he misses. So I like that spot. Um, and then kind of some some less matchup or, or volume uh, driven guys is um, Derek Henry, James Connor, DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, uh, all on my list this week. Makes sense. Uh, I wanted to ask you one running back you didn't mention. He seems like he's going to be very popular. It has been a backfield that has caused a lot of debate uh, on Twitter, and that's the Lions. David Montgomery, 6,600. I haven't heard too many people wanting to go to Jameer Gibbs uh, these days, but how, how are you thinking about that backfield? Because I always would appreciate your kind of level-headed take on a backfield that gets everyone uh, riled up. Uh, I have, I have Gibbs in parentheses on my, on my okay. list. You know, I just don't, I don't think, um, I've Gibbs in parentheses. I have Algier in parentheses. You know, I had Kenneth okay. Gainwell in parentheses last week. I, I, I don't think that they are, I don't understand why they spent, what was it? The number eight overall pick on Gibbs. 12 or, yeah. I, I do understand why they're using him this way because the way that the lions are seeing things is like, he like every component is critical in terms of what it forces the defense to do, what it does throughout a game. So I don't think the, the lions are using this player incorrectly. It just didn't make sense to draft a player so high with this vision of how they were going to use this player is what I'll say. But um, 
I don't think that they're, they don't see him as like, oh, this, this is the guy who's going to win us games. They see him as like what he does to strain a defense is, is, you know, critical to what we want to do on an offense. So I still think it's this game where you would expect a run leaning game plan, David Montgomery's backfield, but uh, I have that outside kind of thought of, you know, well, what if they do give Gibbs 14 carries in this spot? I don't know why they would, right? Against a, a we're kind of running up the gut throughout the game, punishing this Panthers uh, defense. But, you know, you hear players all the time who, who play in the trenches talk about how demoralizing and how taxing it is to just be run at play after play after play with a physical run game. So like the lions know that, and that's what Dan Campbell wants the personality of this team to be. Right. So it makes the most sense that the lions would say the Panthers are bad at stopping the run. Let's punch them in the mouth and just run over and over again with David Montgomery. Uh, it doesn't make as much sense for them to say, let's get this electric guy out in space, but they will do a little bit of that. And the thing is, Gibbs, even on 12 to 14 touches, right? Like seven carries and five catches, he can still post a 25, 30 point game. We've seen DeAndre Swift do that in the past. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's kind of in the mix for me, but on the fringes. That makes sense. Um, before I forget, uh, because it is new this week, the uh, the promo code Pete over at one week season had been 20%, uh, but it's up to 30% this week, JM. That's for Inner Circle and OWS DFS you can use, but it's a slightly different code. It's Pete 30 Code Pete will still work on the weekly passes, the bank machine, if you guys want to test that out. But if you do want to get that extra 10%, you can use Pete 30. Any other thoughts uh, or, or stuff you guys are running uh, over at the site this week that people should know about, Jam? No, nothing else. But yeah, just that, you know, we're, we're heading into the fifth week of the season. So I wanted to drop that a little bit more for a little bit of extra rest of season discount. And we still have a lot of time left to kind of get in and get your edge and, um, and, and be part of all those, those binks in the bink channel. So uh, yeah, 30% off if you, if you hop in right now and who knows, you know, another three weeks from now, we, we'll probably drop that again. Let's transition to wide receivers and then we will head over to DraftKings and start building a lineup. Um, I think we got to start with the news that just broke. Uh, Sean McVay is saying Cooper Cup will play this week. It had been trending in that direction. We are getting confirmation there. You know, he is expensive. It's not like we're getting some kind of injury discount here. He's going to come on at 8,600. But, you know, Puka was someone I was very interested in this week uh, before Cooper Cup was announced uh, in. I'm curious, how are you approaching this situation because Puka's expensive at 7,700 too. Yeah. Listening to McVeigh earlier in the week, it was like, it, it, he was sounding like Cooper cup is just 100% healthy. Um, and so game shape is different from in shape. And so I don't imagine we'll see him play 100% of the snaps, but we also yeah. saw Wandale Robinson a couple weeks ago, play 11 snaps and get five targets, you know? So we could take that and say like when Cooper cups on the field, they're going to be getting him looks and the, probably the, some of the plays when he's not on the field will be run plays and, and lower leverage plays. So um, I would think this is just a guess, but I would think he ends up playing 70% of the snaps, maybe even a little bit more. I would think he ends up seeing, I think that Stafford throws the ball over 40 times in this game. And that's a pretty reasonable expectation against this run tough Eagles defense. So yeah, I would, I would expect that cup sees 10 or more targets at 8,600. I think that he's a very interesting play. Uh, I think that there is, there's stories you could tell. I did this in my DFS interpretations for this game, but there are stories you could tell that say neither of these wide receivers hit. 
There are also right. stories you could tell that say both of these wide receivers hit. So that means that either of them could hit. Um, so I don't see I don't see them as like high confidence pieces, right? Where it's like, oh, let's just get Pook on 30% of my rosters and Cup on 30% of my rosters. But I see them both as guys that, I'm, that require some exposure. And I'll probably have some Stafford doubles with both guys just because you can paint the picture, not of them combining for 4X, but them combining for like 3.5X. And in that story, Stafford would be putting up about 28 points of his own. And that, that full block of those three players would be about 4X salary. So, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely some interesting things to play around with there. Um, I also think Tutu Atwell and, and Tyler Higby are still viable and are going to go overlooked. So I'll have some exposure to those guys as well. I mean, I love this game environment. And I love the fact that, again, the more the fewer things we need to get right, the, the better off we are week in and week out. And we already know that you can't run against Philadelphia. We know that Philadelphia will probably put up points. So that's one thing we don't need to get right. We know that the volume is going to be there unless the Rams just get stomped and don't have the ball much. Like if they have the ball for 30 minutes of this game, there's going to be a lot of passing volume. Uh, so that's one, one box we can already check. And then it's just like, okay, so who produces? So uh, yeah, I like that passing attack a lot. I'll kind of take some different swings on it. It's a very interesting setup this week with the price tags on those guys. We already hit on Jamar Chase a little bit on on the high end. We definitely have some studs. You know, Justin Jefferson, 9,400. Tyreek Hill, 9K. A.J. Brown, 8K. I would say those are kind of the cream of the crop there. At the high end, I'd say, what, another slate with not a ton of value, maybe outside of Wondell Robinson, who looks like he's going to be pretty popular at 3,000. What other kind of wide receiver considerations are you uh, tossing around in your head right now? Yeah, Zay Flowers, Garrett Wilson, um, outside – chance that Michael Pittman has a big game. Jordan Addison's really nice leverage off of Justin Jefferson. Um, if you're looking for a, you know, Wondell Robinson's a sharp play, but as we've also talked about, um, you know, uh, over the last few weeks, right. Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, Mike Williams, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, like all these guys have been six K and below and have put up 30 plus points or 28 plus points. So, you know, if Wondell Robinson has his best game of his career and puts up 22 points, that's well, that's pretty awesome at 3K. But if he doesn't have his best game of his career, right? He puts up a great salary multiplier, gets you 13 points. That's not hurting your roster, but it is taking away a roster spot that could have been taking a shot on the guy who could get 30 plus points. So, uh, Wandell Robinson, some of the sharp, you know, he should be, uh, I'll say it like this, he should be priced at 42 to 4,500. Yeah. So, he's like one of the sharpest, like cheap plays we've had. But all the time, we see guys priced at 42 to 4,500 who aren't on tournament winning rosters, right? So, unless you use that salary, unless you have to get up to one of these high price guys on this week and that salary helps you do it, he might not be the most optimal way to win a tournament. Uh, so I say that to say Wondell Robinson, a very sharp play, but I wouldn't get trapped into thinking like, oh, I've got to play this guy um, because his likeliest outcome is, you know, a, a nine to 14 point game. And if that happens, that's a that's great for everybody who rostered him at that salary, but it's not killing you for not having had him. And maybe that frees up that extra roster spot to where you're able to get four wide receivers who all go off in that game. Um, if wanting to go somewhere else, you know, Rasheed Rice is looking like he's popping in optimizers, but Sky yeah. Moore is playing just as many snaps and actually has a, a more of a downfield role than Rasheed Rice. So that's some interesting leverage you could play around with there. Um, Jonathan Mingo going completely overlooked after he played 59 out of 60 snaps in week two and then got concussed in week three. Terrace Marshall saw uh, 10 targets last week filling in for him. I think Jonathan Mingo uh, should get up to that six to eight target range again this week. So uh, that's an interesting place to go if you want to go some something different among cheap guys. Michael Wilson, obviously, um, really good play. Uh, Jalen Hyatt was on the field basically as much as Wondell Robinson 
last week, didn't get the targets, but you know, it shows that the Giants are using him. So that's another place where you get some interesting leverage on a cheap guy. So yeah, uh, some fun stuff to play around with at wide receiver this week. What I'm hearing is that your lineups sound like they will have almost 100% exposure to at least one rookie wide receiver. Because we have, we've tossed out a <laughs> lot of rookie wide receivers. I guess Wondell Robinson, not a rookie. But other than that, I mean, there's a ton of them in good spots this week. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I hadn't even thought about that. But um, yeah, from Puka up at 60 or 7,700 all the way down to um, Michael Wilson and, and those guys down at the bottom. Two other value guys, more mid-range value, I'm curious your thoughts on in that Cincy-Arizona game, although we already kind of talked about some of the Cincy pieces, but Tyler Boyd, I saw someone in the chat mentioning if he was viable, and then Marquise Brown, because you did mention some interest in the Cardinals. You did hit on James Conner and the running backs. Is anyone in the passing game of interest to you in that game? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Marquise Brown you know, hasn't topped 20 points yet, but he's topped 15 points, I believe, in every game, and and like he was like four yards away from the hundred yard bonus. I think it was last week. And um, he's had touchdowns in two games. that didn't line up with his biggest yardage game. So, you know, things could fall into place for him to put up 25 plus points. Um, things could, you know, Zach Ertz dropped a touchdown pass right at the end of the game last week. He catches that he's up at 19 points last week. And, and he just looks like, Oh man, like how do you not play Zach Ertz? Right. And instead it's easy to be like, Oh, this guy only gets, you know, eight to 11 points. He doesn't have a ceiling. So he's interesting. That whole passing attack I think is interesting. Uh, as for Boyd, Boyd is a sharp play. The problem for me with Boyd is that he obviously is going to pop in optimizers. So that just leads to much higher ownership than his likeliest range of outcomes should have him owned. But every year he's going to put up, you know, a couple of these 20 plus point games and uh, very easily he can have one of those this week. So yeah, no, Boyd is, Boyd is definitely a sharp play. Uh, he will be over-owned relative to his expectations, but when Boyd steps on the field on Sunday, he doesn't know what his DFS ownership is, right? So like his chances of hitting don't actually change against that. And he can still hit for a game, you know, for a 20, 25 point game. So no, he'll, he'll be in on my list at a lower rate than the field is rostering him, but, but kind of at the rate that his, you know, chances of scoring would actually say are, are the rate that he should be owned at. All right, let's continue the wide receiver conversation and tight ends over in the DraftKings app as Jam and I get a practice build on its feet. It's time for a little block party build. All right, Jam, I'm coming in a little blind on some of your early building blocks. I should mention here, part of uh, one of my favorite pieces on the OWS site, if you guys become members, you use that P30. It is JM's player grid in the scroll and going through these building blocks. The whole idea is thinking about these pairs of players or combos, whether from a same team or same game or even across multiple games that fit in your lineup in a unique way and give you a chance at a really big score. I love the way JM positions that and, and describes how he uses is this in his own DFS play. So JM, is it going to be our cover boy, Travis Kelsey, or you got another building block for us here today? First off, I wish that I thought of that full Rams block before we did the show last week. I said on the show last week, like I would probably have a Rams player on every roster and, and might have two yeah. on a lot of rosters. I didn't really spot that full three-player block until Saturday night. Um, so yeah, this week, I actually want you to pick a game because there are a lot of building blocks to choose from. And I'm not like narrowing things down yet. So why don't you pick a game and we'll, and I'll grab a building block from that game. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that because I was kind of, I was going to ask you about Pacheco and Madison. We haven't talked other than, you know, Rashi Rice briefly mentioned um, Mahomes, didn't mention Kirk. So let's let's attack the, uh, what I assume is going to be at least uh, projected to be one of the best games. I don't know if the ownership necessarily is going to follow based on what I've seen. Um, maybe kind of similar to how last week's Bills-Dolphins game actually kind of flew under the radar a bit so yeah let's let's go with chiefs and vikings here in that 4 p.m slot yeah so let's go ahead let's do a building block here of patrick mahomes travis kelsey because he's our cover boy this week and let's throw in jordan addison on this roster now interestingly we could do a justin jefferson roster because the obviously the salary would get very constricted but most people then wouldn't be able to even look toward a roster like that. But I like this idea of taking a guy in Jordan Addison who is direct leverage off of Justin Jefferson is going to grab low ownership. We also have flexibility here to extend this block to somebody like Sky Moore, which kind of lowers our combinatorial ownership even more, but we don't necessarily have to force that off the top. So uh, we'll start with the building block of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Jordan Addison. And we're now telling a story of this being basically of Kansas City putting up, you know, four to five touchdowns. It doesn't necessarily mean that Minnesota keeps pace with them. One of the things that we love about a spot like this, we saw it with the Bills last week. We've talked about this in the past. When you're playing a team that can put up points, you are going to proactively try to put up points. So even though the Bills, quote, had control of that game against the Dolphins last week, they continue putting points on the board. So uh, this could tell a story of, of Kansas City winning this game 35 to 24, doesn't necessarily mean that the Vikings are having a huge game, but does say, hey, the Vikings are passing. They're trying to get back in this one, and Jordan Addison can get involved. Does anyone know if um, Taylor Swift is going to be at this game? I don't know if she travels to Minneapolis, but that might make a difference in whether or not Kelsey has a, a two-score game. I mean, the, the way the NFL is ramming it down our throats, I, I have a feeling she will be there. Uh, is, that, is, the that is that publicity stunt still is that, is that still going? Um, it, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And there is some, you know, I think this is an interesting block. I mean, Mahomes and Kelsey, you know, are never going to be sneaky. They do project to be the highest owned at their positions. And yet I do wonder if people go in different directions, you do see a lot of sentiment like this. I don't hate it, but I don't know about Kelsey, not up to last year's standards lately. It does feel like there's kind of chiefs fatigue. And then you watch them on prime time and Mahomes is getting out by Zach Wilson. I wonder if this will be a little sneakier than maybe we would have initially thought. Yeah, and we had this last year too, uh, start of the season. It was like, well, Kelsey's not the same Kelsey anymore. I mean, the dude is what? He's 34 years old. So yeah, I mean, eventually he's not the same Kelsey anymore, but he is still going to have multiple games this year of like 25 plus points, probably multiple games of 30 plus points. And you want to be there when it happens. And it's only going to happen a few times. You know, we look back over the last two or three years, he's only like the number of, we've talked about this on the show, but the number of like 23 plus point scores that he's had over the last three years, way lower than people realize when they perceive Travis Kelsey. And yet he still pops for these 38 point games or 44 point games or whatever it is. So it's going to happen one of these weeks this year. And we want to be there when it happens. And, and looking at the game logs is going to get you in trouble because that would have gotten you in trouble last year and would have gotten you in trouble the year before because you would have seen these games where it's like, ah, 14 points, 16 points, 19 points. He's not quite doing it. And then he pops for 38 points. So um, tough to tough tough to stop this guy in the red zone, right? So he gets a two or three touchdown game, and and that's the difference in um, in you know a solid game and a had to have it game. So um, 
Yeah, so we'll start with this and we get Jordan Addison in here, which gives us a really nice like low combinatorial ownership setup on this because we know Addison himself will be low owned. Um, next thing I would want to do want to do on this roster is try to get um, at least one or two other higher confidence pieces here. And one of the places where I would look to do that is just say, hey, let's take one of the Dolphins running backs. Yep. Um, with Mahomes and Kelsey, I would, I would venture to guess that Mahomes – People who are playing Mahomes and Kelsey are people who are very much saying, hey, who, who could be the highest scoring players at their position, right? They're worrying less about salary and more about ceiling. I think they will be likelier to play A-chan as a result of that. So I think we'll see a decent number of Mahomes, Kelsey, A-chan rosters, far fewer Mahomes, Kelsey, Mostert rosters. We throw in Mostert on this roster and now we just have such a different look than um, any other rosters because most people won't have Addison with, with Mahomes, Kelsey, and most people won't have Mostert with Mahomes, Kelsey, and that buys us flexibility to kind of do whatever we want on the rest of this roster, including, you know, we could throw in Wondell Robinson and the Titans defense to, I know you typically have a, a, a time on this show of like three minutes from now. So um, we could throw in Wondell Robinson and the Titans defense just to say like, hey, let's see what salary this gives us. And it doesn't matter that these guys will be high owned. Right. Yeah. Titans at 2,400. Wondell Robinson, like JM said, mispriced by a good 12 or 1,300. Makes sense here as well. And you can always come up, right? Because there are some of those other guys up to 4K. So if you have the salary and you maybe want to get up, you can do that. Um, this leaves us, when we put that in, a little uh, over 5,700 remaining for a running back, a wide receiver, and a flex. So we will probably need one more value-ish type play, but should be able to get in um, like you said, some other decent high confidence plays. Yeah. And we also want to remember, right. We've had a lot of these 5k wide receivers over the last 5k to 6k wide receivers over the last few weeks, putting up 30 point scores. So we don't want to force ourselves into thinking, well, we've got to get up to a certain price range. Uh, at the same time, there are things that, that we can do to, you know, get up to a higher price range. If we want to the, um, I would like to put a Cardinals piece on here because I will yeah. probably end up with a Cardinals piece on a lot of my rosters, which doesn't mean that I necessarily think they will, that one of them will have a huge game, but I feel like if one of them doesn't have a huge game, then all of them will have a pretty solid game for their price tags, um, which means that 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 gives us kind of that floor piece that then we can build an upset around that. So if we wanted to go all the way down, we don't want to go too tight end because we, position, positional value is part of what the tight end is there for. Um, so if we wanted to go... Um, we can go to James Conner, but we can actually kind of see if we have the salary to get up to Bijan Robinson instead. Um, and could go either uh, Marquise Brown or Michael Wilson, and I'm fine on either of those. Yeah, why don't we middle it to start Marquise Brown? I like that idea of seeing if we can get up to Bijan. If you get Bijan there, that leaves you 4,600. If you did Michael Wilson, that leaves you 5,900. So 4,600 or 5,900 if there's a 2v2 you like in either direction. Yeah, so Tyler Boyd is 4,500. So that's a that's a way to go there. And it gets us a guy opposite, um, you know, this Cardinals piece that we just took. Um, 5,900 leaves us, you know, 100 off of Garrett Wilson. So I almost uh, like this one more, right? Yeah. Where sure, we could we can move salary around and um, do the Garrett Wilson pathway if we wanted to build this a bunch of different ways. Is HN 100 less? HN's 100 less, than most, right? So you could also... Yeah build the same roster and go Garrett Wilson, Michael Wilson. Um, but yeah, on this particular roster, let's go ahead uh, and go with that Tyler Boyd and um, what was it? Marquise Brown. Marquise? Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
And then where did my guy go? Oh, it was Wondell Robinson. Wondell Robinson down there at the bottom. Um, Um, And and what's cool about this roster, you know, again, we always want to go through and say, can these guys get 30 points? Um, Boyd and and Boyd can get 30, very low probability. uh, But Boyd and Robinson can both get 20 plus. Uh, And then it's a week where we're probably not getting a ton of 30 point scores. And we've got Mahomes can get 30. Mostert can get 30. Bijan can get 30. Jordan Addison can get 30. Kelsey, Marquise Brown, Titans, no, not on the Titans, but, you know, all of our uh, position players can get 30 points outside of Boyd and Robinson, and they can both get you 20. So um, gives us a really nice build. We already talked at the top about how we have a very unique setup once we add Mostert and Addison to this roster. Uh, and then we're able to take some chalky pieces in Wandell and Tyler Boyd, uh, Bijan Robinson, just solid on-paper chalk. And we don't have to worry too much about the fact they're high-owned because our, our roster has this very unique starting point. Uh, with a couple of low-owned pieces with upside. So, yeah, really nice build that we ended up with here. Yeah, and I know we don't, we were just, you were saying too how this isn't something you prioritize, but it just kind of broke this way. It is really nice to have one of your low-owned differentiators going early, right? To have that information of like Moster and knowing. Like if he goes for 30, like you start to have a lot more confidence of like, I I literally do not have to worry about any ownership if my low-owned guy goes nuts. at the. Yeah, that's so true. And then if he misses, then you're like, well, I've got higher ownership on these late, late slate pieces. So now I can kind of mix and match what I want to do there um, and get some like a different setup than, than I otherwise would have had. Yeah. Uh, as always guys, this is meant to be a, a practice build. It's meant to get a, a feel for the slate, seeing how some of these building blocks um, come together. If you want to get all of JM's full building blocks for the week, you can check out the scroll uh, jam. Normally what you get that up by about Friday night, right? Those should be up. Yeah. Friday. Yeah. Right before pizza Friday starts on, uh, on my end. So that's about four 30, uh, West Coast, so 7.30 East Coast is right around there. The player grid gets published. Sometimes uh, 7.45 Eastern is when the player grid gets published. Yeah, and if you just want to do a week pass, if you just want to check things out, you can use that tried and true promo code Pete. If you do want to dive in, inner circle OWS DFS package, you can get that extra 10% off, 30% off right now on the site with promo code Pete. 30 uh the ows crew continues to crush love getting jm's thoughts every week and then checking in on all of the great content on the site as i work on building my week five lineups jm any other thoughts here before uh we uh say goodbye we got the uh got the internet working so that yeah. was a struggle but we're here so <laughs> uh no yeah excited excited for this week and hopefully we uh keep it rolling this week for for me for you for the ows fam and um for all the Pete fans out there, just let's go make some money this week. Let's do it. Uh, like I said, we still got spots left in that Deposit Kingdom rake-free tournament. It is in the announcement section of the Deposit Kingdom Discord. If you guys want access to the two premium shows that I'll be doing this weekend, you can become YouTube members. You become Hand Builder and Opto Bros. That'll get you access to DFS After Dark. This week, I'm having TJ Hernandez on on Saturday night. Excited to talk with him. We'll build a lineup on Saturday night. And then the Sunday morning GPP cram, that's at 1045, have been having a ton of fun with those. We go through the overnight news, the latest ownership. We build some lineups, draft some teams, build some pickums, all that good stuff before lock as inactives come in. You can get that with your YouTube membership. I am heading over right now to the Underdog Daily channel to chop it up with the Badge Bros. We'll go through this slate from an underdog perspective. So you can either refresh your screen here or head over there. For JM, I'm Pete. We'll see you guys next week. Good luck in week five. 